Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 begins like this. When they saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And with that, Jesus lays a foundation for kingdom work. It's up until this point, Matthew's gospel has uh, he documents only a little bit of what Jesus has done. Uh, but here, in one moment, a very powerful, comprehensive, and yet compact set of sermons, Jesus sets forth the foundational truths of the gospel of the kingdom that he came to proclaim. And what we just read is really the manifesto of the new monarch who ushers in a new age with a new message. It's Matthew's goal to, as he's writing to a Jewish audience, to, to lay out for them this understanding that Jesus is the king. And the king now delivers his inaugural speech. The Beatitudes are progressive as we'll see each week and discuss in detail, uh, they, they are not random. They're not haphazard. Each brilliantly leads in a logical succession. He begins with saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so being poor in spirit reflects an attitude that we should have towards our sinful nature, which then will lead us to mourn over our brokenness, which will then lead us to be meek and gentle, and then will hunger and thirst for righteousness and results in a heart that's merciful and pure and peacemaking. And then finally, a Christian who has all these character qualities is far above the level of anyone else in our world, and therefore their lifestyle rebukes the world. And as a result of rebuking the world, persecution from the world is sure to ensue. And as we study today, today we're going to look at the first verse. And uh, I believe just the foundational principle of the Sermon on the Mount. And if we don't take hold of what Jesus is teaching today, then we cannot have the other blessings that follow. So if you would, would you stand to your feet with me in honor of God's word? We're going to read our text uh, for today and then begin to unpack it. And so Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Uh, whenever I get to the words in red, if you could, really loud, really proud, help me out. Uh, let me know I'm not alone up here and uh, read those out loud with me if you would. It says this, it says, now when the crowds came, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. You might be like, why does he sit down? In, in this culture, whenever a rabbi or a teacher was walking and talking with people, it was considered kind of off the record. But whenever that rabbi would sit down, he's saying, I'm going on the record. You can make note of this. These words are going to carry weight. This is a part of who I am. So he sits down to teach them. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, 
Father God, I just thank you for your word and how you lay out for us a pathway to experience the abundant life. Very clear steps for us to become the people that you created us to be and that all of us desire to be. So, Father, I pray you would open your word to us, that we would open our hearts to you, and that, God, you would speak to us. And we wouldn't just understand what your word is saying, but, God, we would receive the blessing of applying it to our life today and this week and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 This is super cheesy. Before you have a seat, why don't you turn and give someone a high five and say, be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. <laughs> All right. That's it. You're welcome, Keith. Hey, you know, um, according to ChatGBT, uh, that's what we all want. ChatGPT says that the most common overarching goal of people around the world, what they long for the most, is happiness or fulfillment. In other words, they want to be blessed. And it's interesting to note that in Jesus' first sermon, he gives humanity a true pathway to fulfilling their deepest longing for happiness, their deepest longing for fulfillment. Uh, That Greek word that Jesus starts each of the the Beatitudes with, blessed, is the Greek word makarios, and it means to be happy. In other words, he could say, we could say, happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Could also be translated as fortunate or blissful. It was Homer who used the word makarios to describe a wealthy man. Plato used it to describe someone who was successful in business. Both Homer and Hesiod uh, spoke of the Greek gods as being makarios in and of themselves. They were blessed in and of themselves because they were not, not affected by the affairs of men. They weren't subject to poverty, disease, weakness, misfortune, or death. The fullest meaning of the term, therefore, has to do with an inward contentedness that cannot be affected by circumstances surrounding us. That kind of happiness is what God desires for you, for his kids. That's what what God desires for you, to have this this contentment, this happiness, this, this, this bliss that circumstances of life could never take away from you. That word blessed is used to describe the characteristic of God, the character of God in himself. Uh, David described God in this way in Psalm 68, 35. He says, oh God, you are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength to his people. Blessed be God. It's who he is. His son Solomon would write this in Psalm 72. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Paul spoke of the blessed God in 1 Timothy 1.11. He says, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. 1 Timothy 6.15, he who is the blessed and only sovereign king, the king of kings and lord of lords, who, who possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen, to him be honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is the blessed God in and of himself, apart from external circumstances. He is blessed. He is happy. He is blissful. He is content regardless of what's happening in our world. Blessedness is a characteristic of God, and it can be a characteristic of people. It can be a characteristic of you. But the blessed life is only possible as people, humans, participate in God's divine nature. 
There is no blessedness, no perfect contentment, no joy that cannot be shaken that Jesus speaks of and the Bible offers except through a personal relationship with Jesus, through apprenticeship to Jesus. Second uh, Peter 1.4 says this. It says, through these, through his, his word, he's given us these very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. How do we participate in this blessedness? How, how do we experience that? Well, it's by participating in the divine nature, understanding God's word and applying God's word is critical if we're going to experience that, if we're going to experience the divine nature. Jesus said this, John 13, 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be makarios, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll have contentment, you'll be happy if you do them. The world will say, hey, if you follow the ways of Jesus, if you apply what the Bible says to your life, you'll be a miserable person. But the opposite is also is, is true. Like if you apply God's word to your life, Jesus says you'll be, you'll be blessed. You'll experience what you've been longing for all this time. What does it look like in the life of someone who has experienced makarios, someone who has experienced this, this blessed life? Well, if you're with us through our study of of Philippians, we know Paul's writing from a, a Roman jail cell. And over and over and over again, he talks about joy. He talks about, about, about this, this unshakable joy that you can have, that I can have, and that he is experiencing even in the midst of horrific circumstances. Philippians 4.11 says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How do you get to that place? How do you get to the place where, man, if you're eating ramen noodles or a ribeye, you're good. If you live on the streets or you live in a mansion, you're good. If, if the job's going well and you get the promotion, you're good. If you get demoted and canned, you're good. How, how do you live with this unshakable contentment? Paul says, I've learned it. I, I've, 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 I've grown in that. I've, it wasn't given to me. I had to learn. I had to grow. I had to learn it. He says, and finally, how does he do it? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He's saying, man, when Jesus is the foundation of my life, when my hope is anchored in him, when he's all I long for, then circumstances can't shake my joy. Circumstances can't shake my, my contentment because I'm, I'm blessed. I've received this, this makarios life that circumstances won't touch. The blessed life the content is a content life, a life of joy, a life of happiness, a life of fulfillment, a life of soul satisfaction and rest that's only experienced in becoming like Jesus and growing in knowledge of Jesus. So, so Jesus' very first sermon starts by teaching us how you too, how I can live this blessed life. And the first step to the blessed life is this very unlikely step in the pathway. It's very unexpected. For his hearers, it would have been like, what? And here's what he says, blessed, makarios, content, satisfied, happy you will be if you're poor in spirit. For that's when you take hold of the kingdom of heaven. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
Another translation, God's Word translation, puts it this way. He says, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. And that is the best definition of what does it mean to be poor in spirit. It's to come to this realization, I am, I am spiritually helpless apart from God. Unless God helps me, I'm helpless in and of myself. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who take that posture. The New Century translation says, those who know they have great spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The message paraphrase says, bless, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. When less of you, there is more of God and his rule. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to realize before God, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Like I have nothing to offer him. To be poor, there's two words in Greek that are used in your, in your Bible. One is used, um, you remember the story of the widow. Uh, she was a poor widow and Jesus is observing the temple and, uh, and it comes time for the offering and, and these wealthy people are giving in out of their abundance. But this poor widow gives two, two mites, like two coins. And Jesus says, man, that woman has given everything. She's given more than anyone else because out of her poverty, she gave abundantly. The word's poor, but she had something to give. And that's not the word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5. Another word for poor is someone who has nothing to give. Someone who, who unless someone provides them the meal, they're, they're going to starve. Like, like they don't have anything to offer. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you when you realize you have nothing to offer God. When you take that step, you're one step closer to the kingdom of God and one step closer to experiencing the blessed life that you've always longed for. Here's the Tim Perkins paraphrase. Blessed, happy, and content is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, one who recognizes their absolute need for God. Consequently, this is where most recovery programs begin. If you've ever heard of Celebrate Recovery, this is the first step in recovery, realizing that apart from God's help, there is no hope for sobriety. Apart from God's help, there's no hope for healing, for wholeness that we all long for. And now it's not just for addicts. It's for all of us. If you want the blessed life, this is where it begins. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why would he start with that? I mean, Jesus, this is Jesus' first words in his, his like first sermon. And he starts there. Why? Why is it so? Why is this the foundation of all the other blessings he talks about in Matthew chapter 5? And if you're taking notes, this is where they begin. Because I would suggest to you, we'll never depend on something we don't think we need. We'll never depend on something we don't think we need. And so, if we're going to take hold of the kingdom, if we're going to become the people God wants us to be, it's going to come upon us to realize, man, apart from God, I'm utterly helpless. And God, I have this deep need, a deep longing to connect with you and to become who you created me to be, but we'll never depend on something we don't think we need. Do you need God? And that will be evidenced by our lifestyle of dependence on him. The psalmist said this, he says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. There's this deep longing, like God, if you don't come through, I don't think I'm gonna make it. It's interesting, as you read the Beatitudes, this first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, it, it, this is Jesus' first teaching on it, but certainly not his last. 
Throughout his ministry, he re-hits on all these beatitudes over and over and over again, sprinkled throughout his, his teaching. Uh, one of which is whenever there's, he tells a story of two guys that go up to pray. One's a tax collector. Uh, remember we talked last week, like as someone who's betrayed his people. He, he's an outcast in society. And he, he bows down. He doesn't even look up to heaven. And his prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he doesn't even... Look up there. But then next to him, there's this religious dude who, who prays three times a day. He gives. And he's like, he's doing good things. And everyone would think he's the one who's right with God. But Jesus says it's actually the tax collector who takes this poor in spirit posture, who realizes his brokenness before a holy God that is the one who is right with God. Again, he teaches on this concept of being poor in spirit in Matthew 18.1. At the time, some of the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which is a good question, right? Like, how can we be great in the kingdom of heaven? That's the disciples' longing. Sometimes it was misplaced, but, but we all want to be great in God's sight. And here's what he says. I, he called a little child to him who was standing among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change, become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, much less be great in it. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever observed a, a child or a young baby, uh, they're totally dependent on their parents. They depend on their, their mom and dad for, for food, for provision, for protection, for, for guidance, for nurturing, for help. And Jesus says, unless you take that same posture with God, you're going to miss the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're totally dependent on him. For daily needs, daily bread, daily sustenance, daily protection. He says you're gonna, we're going to miss it. And now, if we're honest, cognitively, I think we would all acknowledge, yes, I need God. Like, I know I need God in my life. But practically, does the rhythm of our lives say that? We can say it with our words, but does our lifestyle mimic that? There's a church in Revelation 3, and I think they would say, man, I need God. But their lifestyle was saying, I'm okay apart from God. And remember, he's writing to Christians here, Revelation 5, 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. Again, not believer, non-believer. These are all believers. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm and not hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God, tell us how you really feel. You say, I'm rich, and I've acquired wealth, and I do not need anything. But you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. A lot of people feel like, man, I think I'm good. I, th I don't think I need any help. I think I got it together. I mean, yeah, I need God. Yeah, sure. But my lifestyle says I think I'm good without him. And, and the kingdom view of such people is that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked because they're so, they're, their view of the world is so skewed. What they think brings them success actually brings their destruction, and what they think would bring their ruin would actually bring them life. So my goal of these next few moments is to attempt to move all of us from this posture of, uh, of a prideful spirit to where we realize our desperate need for God and we accept a posture of being poor in spirit. And I know you're thinking, that sounds awful. Um, but it's actually going to be good for you and for me. So when God, it's, it's God's greatest desire for you to be happy. You want to be happy, right? Uh, according to chat GBT, that's everyone's deepest longing. And so, or as the Bible would say, blessed. Not only will you be happy, you'll be blessed. Not only will you be blessed, but you'll take hold of the kingdom of God. 
And so there are two types of people in the world. We're just going to summarize it as, as those who are proud in spirit and those who take a posture of being sport, poor in spirit. And it, again, this is more than intellectual decision. It's a posture of our heart and a posture of our, of our life. And so we're going to look at a few different scenarios. We're going to look at four different scenarios. And I'm just going to give you some options. Option A is going to be if you can maintain a proud spirit and take a proud posture of life, that's a choice. Like, no one's going to force you to follow Jesus. No one's going to force you to, like, be an apprentice of Jesus or understand God's word or apply it to your life. Like, you can do what you want. We're all adults here. Uh, but option B is for those of you who say, man, I want that. I want what God's saying here. I want, I want to take this. I want to be poor in spirit so I can be a person who takes hold of the kingdom of God. That is my longing. Both decisions lead to different paths and also different results. So option A, uh, those who are proud in spirit, if you choose that, you just need to know without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. I pay for my own sins. Uh, the end of the day, for people that reject Jesus, the good question is, what are you going to do with your sin issue? Like, who's going to pay the bill? Like, you eat at a restaurant, someone's got to pay the bill. And so who's going to do that? Without Jesus, I pay for it. I pay for my own sins. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 uh, says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. So we have this sin issue, and the Bible says that the result of sin, the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is, is death. Not just a physical death, though that is why we die physically, uh, but an, an eternal, eternal death. And if people don't realize their need for God and don't make God a priority in their life, those who are apathetic towards God, 2 Thessalonians 1.8 will be true. It says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of God and from the majesty of his power. That'll be a reality for those who don't realize their bankrupt condition before God and therefore become poor in spirit. But for those who choose to be poor in spirit, those who choose to humble themselves and recognize their desperate need for God, option B, because of Jesus, I have the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. And don't we want that? Ephesians 2.1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you lived when you followed the ways of this world. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even while we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And aren't you thankful for grace? Because of Jesus, you, you, you don't have to pay your bill. He's already taken care of it. He, he laid down his life, so you don't have to lay down yours in an eternal death. You just give him your life, and you get the free, free gift. Here's another scenario. Uh, for those who are proud in spirit, you would need to know that without Jesus, I can only cope through my pain and my personhood. Without Jesus, the reality is we can only cope with our pain and who we are as people. We'll always wonder, who, who are we? Where are we going? How, how do I cope with these, these issues, these pains that we all experience in life? Jeremiah 6.14 says, They offer superficial treatment for my people's mortal wounds. They give assurances of peace, but there is no peace. 
crystal healings, astrology, tarot cards, positive psychology, numbing with alcohol or pornography or, or drugs or, or numbing with hours of Netflix or just throwing ourselves into work where we don't have time to think about anything else. God calls them superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds. They say, hey, do this, you'll experience peace. Hey, do this, you'll be good. Hey, peace, peace. But the reality is there is no peace. Without Jesus, we can only cope through my pain and personhood. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Makari are those who are poor in spirit. Because of Jesus, I have the power to be healed and transformed. With Jesus, you take this humble posture of life saying, God, I need you more than anything else. You're the center focus of my life. Those people experience God's power and God's healing to be transformed. And don't we all want that? But we can only take hold of it by, by taking this posture of being poor in spirit. First Peter 4, 24 and 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and now have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. When we're broken in spirit, we cling to Jesus. We cling to the good shepherd. We cling to the overseer of our souls. For people that are poor in spirit and realize there's desperate need for God, daily they run to God and say, God, I recognize you're the good shepherd. And here's what's banging around in my heart. Here's what I need help with. God, would you help me? And you find healing in those times. They run to the good shepherd and they experience his power in ways that only he can provide. And as a result, they're healed and transformed. The poor in spirit uh, can only experience that if you're poor in spirit. But, but blessed are the poor in spirit because of Jesus, you're experiencing power to be healed and transformed. It, Galatians 5, 22, uh, characteristics and attributes that we all long for, right? Like who doesn't want to be known as a person of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We all want that to be read at our eulogy. This is who Tim Perkins was. This is who, this is who Bill Wells was. Like, like we want this to be true of us, but these are byproducts These attributes begin to leak out of our life when we take this posture of being poor in spirit. Because when we take this posture of being poor in spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in our lives. And only he can produce these. And what you'll discover is that instead of being full of hate, all of a sudden you're full of love. Instead of being full of despair, you're full of joy. And the list goes on and on and on. He has power for you to be healed and transformed. But ultimately, the choice is yours. Which posture are you going to take? Here's another scenario. Um, those who are proud in spirit would need to know that without Jesus, I'm trying to find or create my life. And this is true for all of us before we came to know God. And if you don't know God, this is probably descriptive of you. You're trying to figure out, who am I? Like, I'm trying to find what my life's all about and trying to create that. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. In other words, like like if you're new to going all in with Jesus, like you're new to following Jesus, it's kind of like the sunrise. Like the sun just begins to kind of crest over the horizon. And like you can see a little bit, but it's still pretty dark. But the longer you follow Jesus, the more you run to the good shepherd, the overseer of your soul, the more you you live life from this poor in spirit posture, life becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. The voice of God becomes clearer and clearer. His plans and purpose for your life becomes more and more visible. And you see his hand working in the details of your life. 
That's the path of the righteous. It's like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day. But the wicked, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They're like, where's my purpose? Why do I keep tripping over my own feet? How will I ever find fulfillment? And, and, and we've, again, we've all been in this cycle, myself included. And so you say things like, man, whenever I get that job, then I'll be happy. Hey, if I could marry that person, then I'd be content. When we get to this place where we have kids, then we'll be good. Hey, when my kids leave the house, then I'll be happy. Hey, once I retire, then everything's going to be great, Right? If I could hit a home run in Little League, then I'd be, I'd be happy. If I could make that team, I'd be good. And always setting goals. And when you achieve them, what do you find? It didn't really satisfy. And so you set another one. You set another one. You set another one. You're just like, why do I keep stumbling over my own feet as if I'm walking in the darkness? And I would suggest because it's because we're not living from a posture where we're poor in spirit, where we say, God, you're all I need. You're the only one who can satisfy me. You're the one I've been longing for. Without Jesus, I'm trying to find and create my own life. But here's an alternative. Here's the blessed life. Here's those who are poor in spirit. They're able to say, because of Jesus, I know who I am. And I know what my life's all about. I know who I am. Why? Because God's told me who I am. And I've anchored my identity into who he says I am. Acts 17, 26 says this, from one man, he made every nation of men. So from Adam, all human race, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact place where they should live. If you're a follower of Jesus, you you know why you're here. You're created by God. You're created for God. Your life is not an accident. You're chosen. Before the foundations of the world, he had his mind on you. He picked you. He gifted you for certain things to build his church, to build his kingdom, to help more people find him and follow him. You were created by God, for God. He chose you to live in 2023. Like he set the exact times and places where they should live. You might say, why wasn't I born in 1600? I think I resonate with that era. No, you're chosen for this time, for this place. Out of all human history, God outside of time says, hey, I got, yeah, Melissa, right here. Boom. This is where I want you. He he chose you for now. And he chose you to live in San Jose. He could have planted you in Bangkok, Thailand if he wanted you there. But he chose you for here. He could have planted you someplace more desirable like Austin, Texas. (laughs) But he chose you for here. He chose you for this time, for this space. And why did he choose you for this time? Why did he choose you to live here? Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know God, you need to know that he's chose you to come here. He's orchestrated your relationships. He's orchestrated your circumstances so that you would be in this place today so that you could reach out to him, so that you could find him because he's not far from you. And he's reaching out to you now. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced the radical grace of Jesus. He's chose you for this time. He's chose you for this place so that now you can live on mission for him to help people find him and help people follow him. That's not a church tagline. That's not just a slogan. We get it from scripture itself. This is your purpose. This is my purpose. And until you make that purpose your chief aim in life, you'll always wonder, what else is there? Why am I not satisfied? Who am I? 
and always try to tinker with your soul and reinvent yourself. When God clearly lays it out, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is my plan for your life. Verse 28, for in him we live, we move, and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And if you've ever thought, why didn't God just send Jesus to Silicon Valley in 2023? Because, gosh, I think we need something as grandiose as that if we're going to turn the heart of the bay back to God. And I think God would say, you're my offspring. The reason I didn't come in 2023 because I knew I'd have kids. I, 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 knew, I knew George would be here. I knew Donna would be here. I knew Richard would be here. I knew Graciela would be here. And you're his physical representatives. You are his offspring. And you represent a beautiful God to a desperate world that desperately needs him. And so the choice is yours. You can walk around in deep darkness never knowing what your purpose is and trying to find fulfillment in all kinds of things that would never satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Or you can take a posture of being poor in spirit before Jesus and saying, Jesus, you've clearly given me a mission and I'm here to partner with you on that mission. I know what my life's all about and I'm stepping into that calling. But the choice is yours. And then finally, here's the last scenario. Those who are proud in spirit, they would say, without Jesus, I'm living my life for joys that fade away. Apart from Jesus, we can only live for joys that are temporary. Yes, we experience some joys, but yes, it's very fleeting. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Don't you want an inheritance that can never fade or spoil? Don't you want joy that's sustainable? Don't you want, don't you want that? How do we take hold of that? Well, it's found in living hope through the resurrection of the dead. It's found in Jesus Christ and anchoring ourselves into him. He's, he offers you living hope today. But those who are proud in spirit only temp experience temporary joys that do fade away. And even if you take hold of everything that society says will bring you contentment and happiness, you would need to know that at the end of the day, you would say the words of Ecclesiastes 1-2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? This dude who wrote those words, a guy named Solomon, you think about what society says, hey, hey, chase after the ladies, hey, chase after a good time. Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth, like the most beautiful, the most voluptuous of the, 700 of them, <laughs> 700. Couldn't scratch the itch. Wealth. This guy had wealth that's hard for us to even fathom, the richest man in the world. A man who, who built architectural designs that, that people would be in awe at for centuries to come. He built gardens with self-irrigation system that still baffle modern engineers. And he came to this place where he says, man, all that was, I thought that would bring me joy, so I married another. I, I thought that would bring me joy, so I made another million. I thought that would bring me joy, so I built another, I planted another plant. Only to find 
meaningless, meaningless. Because your soul will always be at angst until it comes to find rest in the one who created it. So the proud in spirit, they acquire joy and pleasure, but it, it just fades away. But there's something of Jesus' words that are so beautiful, so compelling, and yet so profound. Because when we take this posture of being poor in spirit, we can say, because of Jesus, I have the joy of living a life that glorifies God and impacts others. A life that makes a difference in this world. A life that glorifies God and impacts others. John 15, verse 8 and 11 says this, This is for my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Part of the way we show ourselves to be disciples is we, we live a life of, that makes a difference, a life of transcendence, a life of, that bears fruit. There's, there's good things dripping off of our life. And what's the result of that? He says, I have, I have told you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You want joy that's complete? You want joy, the joy of the Lord in your life? Bear fruit. Live on mission for him. And the deepest longings of your soul will begin to come to fruition in your heart. Do you want joy that lasts? It's found in being an apprentice of Jesus. Do you want joy that lasts? It's found in living on mission for Jesus. Do you want joy that lasts? It's found in a life that bears fruit for Jesus. And, and like I said, you get to choose. We can choose to be proud in spirit and say, oh, I think I'm good, I'm gonna figure it out, I, I got it. Or we can realize, man, we're broken before a holy God. And take this posture being poor in spirit and saying, God, if you don't help me, I'm hosed here. God, for the simple things, I need you. For the big things, I need you. And that'll be evidenced by the way you live your life. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what's our response? What's the response of those who are poor in spirit? Jesus, I need you. More than anything else, God, I just need you. Every person, every season, every situation, our response is, Jesus, I need you. If you approach life from that posture, happy, blessed, content, will be describes, be characteristics of your life, attributes of your life. And not only will you be blessed, not only will you be happy, not only will you be content, but you'll take hold of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for your love and your radical grace in our lives, God. Thanks for clearly laying out a pathway for us to experience what our souls have so been longing for, God. We long to be happy, content. And ultimately today, God, we realize that's only found in you and living life for you. So God, for those of us here in the room who have been following you, maybe for years, maybe for months, maybe for decades. God, today we hear your call to turn back to you. Not on the fence, not lukewarm, but God, we're going all in. Recognizing, God, our desperate need for you. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. It's in you, God, where we find life, satisfaction, and wholeness, and everything we've been longing for. Jesus, you said we'll be blessed 
will take hold of that life that we want when we do the things that you say. It's not by hearing it. It's not by, by knowing it. It's by action. So God, I pray this week that our actions will reflect you as we represent you here in Silicon Valley. And God, for those here in the room who don't yet know you, they haven't experienced contentment, peace, or hope that's unshakable, hope that's living. God, I pray today would be the day they take hold of it because you've orchestrated their steps to be in this place today. And if that's you, if I'm talking to you and everyone else is continuing to pray with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you know you need God. You realize you're far from him. Maybe you knew him at one time, but things have drifted and you find yourself today where you feel so distant from him. Well, he's brought you to this place to draw you back to him. Maybe for the first time to come know him and find him, follow him. Really a couple ways that you do that. One is begins with prayer. Uh, just talking to God, we call it prayer, but you just getting gut honest with God. Romans says that, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you're gonna let him call the shots, you'll be saved. And then it begins by, by taking action steps on that. Not just saying, Jesus, you're the boss, you're the Lord of my life, but actually applying God's word to your life. That's where you experience the good life, the blessed life. But it begins with prayer. So if you're at a place today where you say, man, I, I believe Jesus is who he said he was. I believe that on the cross he paid the penalty for my sin. I believe he didn't just die. I believe he rose again. I believe Jesus is God. And I'm going to recognize him as such and I'm going to live my life like he's that. If that's you, I invite you just to talk to God right now. I invite you just to talk to him and say, say something like this. Say, God, I realize.